Well, it is hard to believe that it was just five days ago uh, that it was Christmas Day. Well, the next day, uh, Wednesday, December 26th, if you remember, it was a beautiful afternoon. Uh, I was out and about, had my kids in the car with me, and they asked to listen to some Christmas music. And I thought, hey, that's pretty easy. There's a radio station out of Richmond that has been playing Christmas music since mid-November. So, turned on the radio, tuned it to that station, and nothing. Nothing. I mean, they were done. Done with the Christmas music. Back to just regular music. And you know, I remember at that moment, it just felt like such an abrupt stop. Nothing. No more Christmas music. Nothing on the radio reflected very much what was going on at my house. Nothing under the tree. And I just remember it was a downer. You know, and and that's that's when it hit me. That's when I realized, oh right, we have entered into that season of the post Christmas blues. I mean, I know that I experience that uh, every year, some sort of letdown. Dennis uh, referenced that earlier as well. Uh, I, I know I'm not alone. I wonder how many of you, you know, brief show of hands, participation, experience some level of the post-Christmas blues. Okay, the rest of you just aren't being honest. That's okay. You know, but seriously, it is a cultural phenomenon. Uh, studies have shown that millions and millions of people struggle, now to varying degrees, some mild, some severe, but millions of people struggle with the post-Christmas blues. And when you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, there's the anticipation and the build-up for weeks and weeks, and then all of a sudden, an abrupt stop and the letdown. Done. Nothing left. The music stops, there's nothing under the tree. Well, what's it like when there's nothing under the tree? When the Christmas tree is barren? Well, of the the many people who play a part in that first Christmas story, uh, one of my, my favorite characters, and really I think one of the most often overlooked characters, but one of my favorites, is Mary's cousin. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And she knows exactly what it's like when there's nothing under the tree, when the Christmas tree is barren. We find her story in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 1. Uh, verses 5 through 45, and if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you will find it on page 855. Now, it is a long passage, and there are a lot of characters mentioned in it. I want to keep our our focus on Elizabeth, and so I'm going to skip some verses, Uh, but if you are following along, don't worry, I'll give you a heads up and take you to exactly Uh, where I am. Uh, But before we hear God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Our good and gracious God, uh, we come before you this morning 
needing to hear from you. Needing for you to penetrate our hearts with the gospel. Needing for you to shine the light of Christmas, the, the light of Christ into our hearts. That we might see and believe. Speak to us now, we pray, by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus. Amen. And so, Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 5. Hear the word of God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 23. And when his time of service was ended, Zechariah went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And this is God's word. And so the story of Elizabeth. Well, what do we know about Elizabeth? Well, here we see Elizabeth is married to Zechariah. Uh, she is from the priestly lineage of Aaron, uh, Israel's first high priest. Uh, a godly woman, her husband a godly man. And we also learn that she is childless. Really that she is beyond childbearing years, or as the text says, advanced in years. And commentators agree that Elizabeth and her husband are probably in their 70s at this point. In fact, it's interesting to note the most emphasized characteristic of Elizabeth is that she is barren, infertile, unable to have children. Because in the span of just a handful of verses, there are eight references to Elizabeth's barrenness. Now, in the first century, barrenness was a tragic situation. And I mean tragic. So, for example, there were profound economic and social implications. Now, economic because parents solely relied on their children for support as they got older. I mean, that's how retirement worked back then. No one was putting money away in the bank. No one had retirement accounts. Children took care of their parents, and then their children took care of them, and so on and so on. So this was tragic for them economically, but also socially. Socially, because childlessness was considered a disgrace. In the first century, infertility was thought to reflect divine disapproval. God is not pleased with you. And though Luke makes clear that her barrenness is not due to divine disfavor, Elizabeth feels it still. Verse 25, Elizabeth refers to her barrenness as my reproach, my disgrace among the people. And then, of course, there's the heartache. The heartache, the disappointment of not being able to have a child. My wife Heather and I are familiar uh, with this particular heartache. Uh, we were married for nearly 11 years before our first child was born. And though we weren't uh, trying to have children for all of those years, for us there were several years of wondering and waiting. A long, painful season of barrenness, marked by disappointment, month after month, year after year. But while for us it was a few years, for Elizabeth and Zechariah it was decades. Decade after decade after decade. Decades of heartache. Decades of economic uncertainty. Decades of social disgrace. 
Well, what about you? What are your places of barrenness? Because truth be told, we all have them. We all have, we all have some type of barrenness in our lives. What, what are the, the difficult, disappointing, discouraging places for you? The places of loss. The barren places causing you pain and suffering that you wish would just go away. You know, maybe it's failing health, strained, uncertain finances, broken or difficult relationships. Maybe it's a frustrating career. Why did I ever get in this to begin with? You know, any disappointment or struggle is continually there. Barrenness is real. Barrenness is painful. It affects our lives. It affects our relationships. And in the midst of the very real places of pain and suffering in our lives, we're always confronted with a question. And the question is this. Will I trust God? Will I trust God? Elizabeth is confronted with that question. Now take a look. Uh, verses 6 and 7. And remember, as I, as I read these verses, remember this is Elizabeth, decade after decade after decade, probably has stopped praying for children because she has passed childbearing years in her 70s. This is before she knew, before she had heard this promise that she would conceive and bear a son. And this is what it says, reflecting on all those years prior. Verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Elizabeth and Zechariah had very real, very deep pain and suffering. But notice, Luke makes clear that their barrenness is not due to divine disfavor. Instead, Luke points out that Elizabeth and her husband are both righteous before God. Okay, now, now is, is this saying that they lived morally perfect lives? No, no, not at all. Rather, it's saying that they trust God. They love God. And by grace follow Him, just as we are called to follow Him in repentance and faith and a, a growing, trusting obedience. You see, Elizabeth and Zechariah are declared righteous before God because they trust Him. Their faith is in Him. And they believe that His plans... His promises, His provisions are good. Though they have very real places of pain and suffering in their lives, they believe that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Not that all things are good, but that God uses all things 
for good. In other words, Elizabeth and Zechariah take God at his word. But what about us? Do we take God at his word? In the face of your own barrenness, do you look to Jesus? Do you look to Jesus and trust him? Even when it is so very hard. Again, uh, thinking back, again, several years ago before uh, Heather and I had kids and were trying and trying to figure all that out, I'll never forget, we we were watching a a movie together one night. And what I'll always remember, of course, is that that, that there was a, a couple that was struggling with infertility. And I remember this one particular scene uh, while the, the, the husband was wrestling with God and he turned to his wife and he asked, if the Lord never gives us children, will you still love him? Will you still trust him? And obviously that question hit home. For me? Will I look to Jesus? Will I love him? Will I trust him no matter what? And that's the question that we are all confronted with, with regard to every place of barrenness in our lives. In the midst of very real pain and suffering, no matter how hard it is, will you trust him? Well, Elizabeth answered yes. And she answered yes because she knows that barrenness is not the end of the story. You see, Elizabeth knows that God is faithful, that God's plans are far bigger and more beautiful than she could ever imagine. She believes those promises. She trusts that, that God is the only one who will completely bring everlasting peace and hope and healing and joy. And because she listens to God, because she studies God's word and is familiar in part with the, the prophet Isaiah, she knows that the Messiah will accomplish this by his wounds. You see, Elizabeth trusts that God, as the suffering servant, would take our sin upon himself, embracing a barrenness far greater than any of us could ever imagine. Embracing a barrenness for us so that by faith in Him, we wouldn't have to be barren forever. And as Luke's account unfolds, Elizabeth learns that the name of Mary's child, the name of her Savior, is Jesus. And Jesus says... My grace, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in barrenness. Our places of pain and suffering are real, and we need every moment of every day, and we are given every moment of every day His sufficient grace in our weakness. Now, I know some of your stories. And thus, I, I know some of the, the places of, of barrenness for you. And I want to remind you, in fact, I want to remind all of us, that no matter what difficult things you are facing, no matter what the specific pain and suffering is for you, it's not the end of the story. So what is? What is the end of the story? Well, as you may know, we get a glimpse in the last book of the Bible. Revelation. I've already referenced it this morning. Where the Apostle John sees beauty at the end of the story. Revelation 21 and 22. A new heaven and a new earth. God dwelling with His people. Perfect harmony. Perfect peace. Perfect joy in all things. Every tear wiped away. Death is no more. Neither is there mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And the king declares, Behold, I am making all things new. And then Revelation ends with Jesus declaring, I am coming. I am coming. I am coming back. Three times he says it. Three exclamation points and he is referring to his second coming. His second advent. Friends, that's our deepest longing. His return and all things made new. Let me end with this. It's an illustration. I remember reading it years ago when going through the particular books that I'll reference in a moment. But it took on new meaning for me when a few years ago, a dear friend of mine, a dear brother in the Lord, shared how the illustration, as he had read it, how it had been so helpful to him in his long, painful seasons wrestling with severe depression, uh, which come upon him out of nowhere uh, from time to time. And it comes from the final book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, Return of the King. Uh, The people are awaiting the king's return, the king who will make all things right, But before his return, there is a long season of wondering and waiting, of barrenness. During this time, the hobbits, Sam and Frodo, they're on a seemingly impossible mission, full of pain and suffering, and they are losing hope. One night, while taking a break on their long, dark journey, Frodo is napping, and Sam is sitting there, looking up in the sky. 
This is the narrator's comment, uh, commentary on Sam. There, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tower, high, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the barren, forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. And so brothers and sisters, as we, as we leave another Christmas season and experience our own post-Christmas blues, what will you look to? Well, rather than looking down and seeing nothing under the tree, look up. Look up and see the star at the top of it. The star that once stood over a manger and still today points us to Him. The One who is coming back to make all things new. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus. King Jesus, we thank You that You have come and that You are coming back. And so with the Apostle John, we cry out, Come, come, Lord Jesus, come. And as we wait for Your return, please fill us with hope that we might trust you and follow you all the days of our lives. Amen.